Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Hey, y'all. It is Sapik Alawalia, the digital strategist at Progress Texas, and I am back from paternity leave. I am joined today by Glenn Smith, Diana Gomez, and Brett Isaacs. If you haven't heard that name before, it's because she is our, like, hot take queen, and we haven't been ready to bring her on the show yet, but I'm so glad that she's here. So, Brett, from all of us and all the audience members, welcome to the podcast. Slash the live stream, because really it's both. Right. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, uh, about a week ago I got off of paternity leave, and I'm, like, really exhausted all the time, because when you're dealing with a baby, they're irrational, they cry, they throw tantrums, and now that I'm back at work in the political room, I'm like, man... That's like the Texas GOP, right? They're irrational. They don't make any sense. They throw tantrums all the time. And, you know, we're in our second legislative session. we got a third one coming up later. It makes sense why the House Dems wanted to leave the state for a vacation. Um, and so that got me thinking, where would y'all go if you were a Texas House Dem and you wanted to escape the insanity of the Texas GOP? Dana, where would you go? Um, I feel like I would want to go to Mexico City. Uh, just because I went there a few years back uh, for my birthday, and it was one of the very last trips I ever took uh, before uh, the pandemic hit, and I reminisce uh, upon it so many times. Just great food, a lot of museums, a lot of energy, uh, things to do, and so that's one of the first places I can't wait to get back to. That sounds amazing. What about you, Glenn? You know, I was going to say Antarctica because there's no COVID, but guess Uh, what? There is COVID in Antarctica. Oh, oh no. So I'm afraid that I'm in a loss unless <laughs> I call Elon Musk and get on one of those like flights into subspace. That might be a fun mm. place to go to break corn. They couldn't reach me there. That's for sure. That's true. And Brett, what about you? Where would you go? Honestly, I would go to Cancun because first of all, I love the beach. And second of all, what the hell are they going to say? Like, oh, you can't shirk your responsibilities <laughs> and go to Cancun, please. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I would go to Cancun and I would be sitting Perfect. on the beach drinking a pina colada and, you know, they couldn't say anything. I mean, they could because they're all hypocrites, but they couldn't really say anything about it. <laughs> right. Actually, that, that sounds pretty good because I feel like the beach is also a good place for a baby. Like you can just put it there and it's not going anywhere. It's going to chill out. Man, now I really want to go on vacation. Stop it. I'm just going to jump in and say, like, I don't think you should do that with a baby. I don't feel like you should just plop them in the sand and be like, you're not going anywhere. So, you know, here I am, shades on, pina colada. (laughs) I I don't have kids, but I just hear that's, like, not what you're supposed to do. You're probably right. I'm still pretty new, so I don't know what I'm talking about all the time. Um, Man, vacation, though. Uh, So today, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, We're going to be talking about two big things. One really big thing. Actually, two really big things, frankly. Abbott's mask mandate ban and how the children and the schools and everyone who's sane is fighting against them. And then the 2020 census data was released. So what does it mean for you, your family, your congressional district and the 2022 election? Uh, So first things first, Abbott's mask mandate ban, because there's not a mask mandate. Glenn, what's going on? You've been really active and you did something really cool on Monday. Tell us about that. You know, I can I can make a couple of real quick points is, yes, uh, some school children here in Austin with their parents spoke out and uh, asked Abbott, the governor Abbott, to drop his ban on public school mask mandates. They were very well-spoken young people, very sincere. It's a good event. Second point I want to make is there's a, we're watching something unfold here. We're not sure what it is. And that is the governor and his Supreme Court are all of a sudden slow walking efforts to block these local school 
mask mandates. If you recall, in almost every other case of, of a local order during the pandemic, Abbott has in minutes acted to stop those local orders. Now, most of these school districts that have put them in place have kept them in place. And whatever's going on behind the scenes in the courts is going really, really slowly. And it makes me wonder if Governor Abbott hadn't looked at the polls and seen how far mm. behind he is on this issue and also just the health consequences. Because let's face it, an abstract, no mass mandate order is one thing. An order that targets children who are bound to get sick and maybe die in some significant numbers, that's a difficult political call to make. And I just wanted to make that that point, but see what others might think, y'all. What do you see happening? Yeah, definitely. I think this, you know, obviously Abbott has failed at many things in not leading our state in, in the right direction during this pandemic. Um, but this just happened. How can folks not see this as just one of the worst things ever is targeting children and put them in danger? Um, they're not eligible for, for vaccines yet. And even though I don't have any kids, I often tell my friends that one of the reasons why I think masking up is still important, even though I am vaccinated, is because if I do happen to, to catch it, I could come across someone who does have children and, and they will get it. Um, and so it's just, it seems so irresponsible to be targeting children. Uh, I also have a, a friend who's on one of these uh, school boards uh, in San Marcos ISD, Miguel, shout out. Um, and they are one of the school districts that decided to uh, stand up and put the children first and know that politics has nothing to do when it comes to children's safety and, uh, you know, enforce the rule that masks are required in, in school districts. Bro, what do you and think? Just to jump in, I feel like fundamentally this highlights two very specific things about the Texas GOP right now, which is one, like the Republicans claim to be, you know, pro small government, but they're not because if they were, they would want communities to make these decisions by the people who are elected in their communities. You know, it, Texas is a huge place. We haven't all met Greg Abbott, but we, many of us know the people who are on our, you know, in, in the homeowners association or on the school boards. And if, the Texas GOP really cared about small government, they would want these decisions to be made at the local level. But also like what Glenn was saying with how slow Abbott is to react to this, it's because this is what happens when you pander so heavily to such a far right base and allow mm -hmm. that to drive your policy. Because now he can't backtrack as easily. He can't try and actually you know, say, wait, that might have been a bad idea. Maybe we should have a little more leniency because he's dug himself into such a hole and people are going to die because of it. So it's just so it, it really exposes the fundamental flaw behind not only their ideology, but also the strategy, because Texans are going to lose their lives because of his lack of leadership. Oh, Let me ask you as a new parent, I just thought that's like the question. What do you think when you see the state government seeming to take such a cavalier attitude toward the health and even the lives of young people here. I mean, so, so for me, it's especially real. A, I have a young daughter, but also my wife is a pediatrician. And so every day she goes into Dell Medical Center uh, and she, she's seeing firsthand what's happening. And there's no beds left. And here's the thing, right? Even if COVID isn't lethal to children, what is happening is as hospitalization rates go up, all the other things kids face, they can't get treatment for because the beds don't exist. And unfortunately, like everything else in this country, kids are often the lowest on the totem pole. So there's not that many children hospitals, right? Um, and so, you know, on a daily basis, when my wife comes home from work, 
we're constantly worried, is she going to give RSV or did, will she pass on COVID to Jaya, who's only four months old? She can't get the vaccination and her immune system's not fully there. Um, so it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of anxiety around it. And I have, you know, I'm lucky because she gets to take safety precautions at work because that's literally her job. But there's so many parents in Texas who do not have that ability. And, you know, I was reading about these three uh, rural counties where schools shut down because it just got way too insane. And, you know, it's despicable that he's doing this. And, you know, in addition to that, what we haven't noticed is uh, what we haven't mentioned yet is someone tested positive this week. Who tested positive earlier this week? Well, the governor. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. (laughs) It's like when you host a super spreader event, people test positive. Imagine that. And and also, I'd like to point out um, a, a couple things that really infuriated me uh, is that he, you know, tested positive, but then he um, was able to get a booster shot uh, either, you know, before that or, or something around that. So he, even though a great uh, part of uh, Texas is not vaccinated yet, he has three vaccines now. Um, but then also he's taking that that drug. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's called the Regeneron. Um, and we all know Abbott and the GOP is super, uh, you know, against uh, abortion and and anything, you know, regarding that. But uh, Regeneron is made uh, out of uh, like a, a, a aborted uh, tissue. And so he is benefiting from the thing, Brett, like you were talking about before, um, about being a hypocrite. You know, it only when it benefits him uh, is he, you know, which is a good example of the health care that he's able to access that most Texans aren't able to access uh, at this moment or if they were able to get sick. Yeah. You know, in addition to that, first of all, the third booster, the public cannot get period yet. Uh, I read that Biden's going to start launching that in September. The second thing is we don't have expanded Medicaid in Texas, right? So if you're poor, you're really not getting health care. And Regeneron is fifteen hundred dollars a pop. So who's, you know, who can access that? Nobody. Uh, it's just uh, the hypocrisy and like the pro-life, but then they're literally killing kids all the time. It makes no sense. And also just to jump on that, I mean, the governor and his friends and his base and so many of the media outlets that he subscribes to and goes on are those same people saying that vaccines don't work. And he is asymptomatic right now. This is kind of the biggest, you know, we we vaccines work. You will not get as severely sick, or you are so much less likely to get as severely sick as if you were unvaccinated. And yet, you know, again, because he's dug himself into this hole and surrounds himself with people promoting this narrative that you don't need to get vaccinated, that it's a personal choice, and we're not, you know, doing this to help the others in our lives. It's really irresponsible and honestly, just plain evil because of all the Mm. things that we've been saying about the care that he has the access to and the way that he's completely just letting go of his morals to get the treatment that he feels he's entitled to. Yeah. Hey, can I make a final point, too, on this topic? And what I'm doing in all the talks I give and et cetera, TV appearances, is to ask people who who may, may have the misperception that masks are only there to protect them from this disease. And the example I've been using is that is the, the the surgeon who takes out their appendix in an emergency situation? She's wearing a mask not because she's afraid of catching appendicitis, right? She's <laughs> wearing a mask to keep from infecting the person that she's assisting with that surgery. Masks protect other people. This idea that it's a matter of 
of personal choice. It's really not because the lives of other people are hanging in the balance of what you do. So you wear a mask for others. So when it comes to children, I just can't imagine a parent making the decision that they'll send their children too young to be vaccinated into a crowded schoolroom where children, other children might catch the disease that they pass on. I, masks protect other people. I just can't say that enough. And, there was you know, this Glenda onion headline. I just want to jump in super quickly because Glenn said surgery. There was this onion headline that made me laugh um, where it said something like <laughs> Ron DeSantis uh, to close down funding of hospitals if surgeons continue to wear masks. And I mean, that's where we're at now. Like that's the level of insanity that right. some of these governors, including Abbott, are exhibiting. You know, if you had just said the headline, I wouldn't know if it was an Onion article or not. Because Honestly. Yep. Really true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, you know, so Glenn, you said that when you're wearing masks, you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting other people. Um, you know, we've just talked about trying to get this mask mandate lifted. There's something you can do to mask mandate ban, excuse me. It's a lot of, a lot of words in a row for something. There's something you can do to help. Um, right now, we are running a petition, and if you sign it, it'll send a letter to Greg Abbott saying, I'm a Texan, and I demand that you lift your mask mandate ban to protect Texas children. I'm going to drop it in the, in the, I'm going I'm to drop the link in the chat right now. Signing a petition doesn't always seem like it's very effective, but like, you know, during the course of the pandemic, we've run multiple petitions that have made, that, that have held our elected officials accountable and made them respond to Texans and their concerns. Um, so please sign the petition, share it with your friends. Glenn has said this many, many times over the course of the pandemic, that the one thing we can do to get over this, uh, get through this is to work together as Texans. And if we work together, we can protect our kids and we can finally flatten this curve and hopefully we can actually go to Cancun or Mexico City because the pandemic will be gone and we can sit and Jay can sit in the sand and I don't know what she'll do, but she'll be there and it'll be super cute to take photos of. After the Progress Texas Happy Hour, be sure and pop over to ProgressTexas.org and check out all our great merch. Perfect for letting the world know that you're on the side of progress in Texas, too. Cool t-shirts and beautiful shades of blue. An awesome pride pack. Y'all means all. Buttons, stickers, can coolers, and more. Show your pride in progress at our web store at ProgressTexas.org. That was a lot of uh, maybe like bad or, you know, scary news. Something else happened recently. It's kind of good news. The census data from 2020 dropped, and some of the findings for Texas were quite positive. Dana, what, what, what are the things that we're seeing in the preliminary data? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first of all, we out here in terms of people of color in Texas. <laughs> Maybe we out here, y'all. Um, but some of the really cool things that came out of the census data that was released recently is that people of color make up 95% of the population growth since 2010. That is a huge number. Um, so not only are, you know, we, we're here, we've been here, you know, that growth, uh, the fact that it's shown up, um, and it's really great to see it as well, because I know during um, the census uh, efforts, it was very difficult um, to, you know, outreach to folks, especially people of color, because we were in a pandemic. Um, so it was very stressful, but it's, it's really great to, to see those numbers show up. And honestly, you know, a lot of folks talk about an undercount. So I even think those numbers are even greater than, than what we've been seeing. Um, but another um, uh, statistic is that the state of Texas gained nearly um, 11 Latinx residents for every 
white resident and that Latinx and white populations are, are nearly equal, um, I just think it's showing the really great and amazing diversity that our state of Texas has. I, uh, I'm going to add some, a couple of notes about the difference. Number one, because of where the growth is, the growth is in the sort of metropolitan areas, the inner city, the, the close-in suburbs, and the suburbs just beyond that is pretty much all of the real growth. Most of the growth now, is in, as, as Diana noted, is among people of color. In fact, and you could take a, you could take a conclusion away from this, and that is any redistricting that doesn't reflect those totals is discriminatory by intent. If the mm -hmm. Republicans in charge, if the if the new districts they draw for the state house, the state senate, and Congress don't reflect that, then they have discriminated against Texans in their drawing of these lines. If they respect that growth, <clears throat> I think it's a chance that we could come out pretty good in Texas in the end. I mean, nobody, few people are going to agree with me about that because the Republicans are going to try to exploit this to their advantage. But if they follow the law and the rules. We could do okay, I think. And I'm, my fingers are crossed about that. And everybody should participate if they can. Let your voices be heard when the hearings happen and by contacting your lawmakers, wherever you are. So, Brett, I have a question for you. Yeah, you know, before you came to Progress, which I'm sure is like the best I've ever had, you came from the TDP. And with these new numbers and the growth in our urban districts, like, what do you think Texas Democrats have to do to make some big gains next year? Oh my God, I could so I could much. talk about this issue for an hour. I mean, just as a you know note, I'm not a expert on politics or running a campaign, but I do think that um, I wasn't going to mention this until you asked this question. I think that Democrats and the Democratic Party, not just in Texas, but this is a nationwide problem, really don't know how to mobilize Latinx voters. I think that's a really deep institutional problem because I think there's a lot of um, lack of investment in communities from the top down when it comes to organizing and advertising in those communities. And they're, they're, I felt in 2020, and y'all can correct me if this feels wrong, but I felt in 2020, there was this sort of assumption that if you're Latinx, that means that you're not white. And that means that your only focus will be on defeating Trump. And we saw that that's just not true. Latinx population is gigantic and diverse. And there's so many, so much diversity of ideas, priorities, and that messaging just really didn't stick at all. And that's why I think we saw those losses for Democrats in the RGB. And so I think that the recognition of these numbers and of what these communities look like will be so important and in actual investment in organizing in these communities and doing things like this is funny to reference a campaign that wasn't successful but um Sri Kolkarni ran in a Houston um, district and he campaigned I think in something like 21 languages because it reflected the diversity of his community and I think that that is the kind of mentality to really look at these numbers and use them as a roadmap going forward, as opposed to making some sort of um, broader generalizations. And I do also just, again, want to clarify that that's sort of a more national down mm. commentary. I think a lot of Democrats did do in their districts did do a great job of appealing to voters and communities where they were. But just in general, I do think that these numbers show that this, these communities, especially communities of color and where they are in the suburbs, in the cities, in rural areas are so diverse and need that kind of diverse investment 
and appeal in order to help progressives win in the future. Yeah, I agree. One of the great, the greatest spike we ever had on the progressive side of voting in the last two centuries was during the New Deal. And the reason it happened was because we had organizations everywhere doing the things that you're talking about. We were getting health care to people, <clears throat> person to person, taking them to the doctors, tutoring their kids, getting them jobs. Um, that's the kind of organizing that gets the job done in the long run. And I would also add to that is that I hope that our diverse populations in Texas see themselves in these numbers and by seeing themselves in these numbers, see that they have so much power, which is in the importance in getting out to vote uh, and especially in keeping um, our legislators accountable, getting Abbott the hell out of the governor's seat um, in our state. Uh, and knowing that you have the power to make demands of all of your representatives, from the governor to your city councilman, um, to you know school board members, uh, county level, everywhere. Um, I think a lot of times folks might feel isolated, might feel like they're not being represented in politics. So you know why would they listen to me? But you have so much power. That is why the GOP, the Republicans, are trying so hard to restrict our vote, to suppress it, to take it away. That is why they are pushing these Jim Crow 2.0 efforts. And that is why uh, they won't deter us. They won't, we will fight back. Um, so we have to keep going at it because this is just proof of, of our power and that it can work. And if we don't see ourselves represented in our elected officials, we can rise up and take those seats. So actually, I, I kind of put the cart before the horse uh, because before, these like new populations can like realize that power as Glenn, as you mentioned, like we need to redistrict properly. So they get like the prior is proportional. Diana, you've worked like in the ledge for the past, it seems like 10 years, but really it's just the past seven months or whatever. Um, what can like an everyday Texan do to help make sure that the new districts, whether it's the, at the local level or the state level for federal government, that those represent, you know, the populations as they should be. Definitely. And I, I agree. I feel like with the number of special sessions, it's about 10 years worth of, of sessions. And I have more white hairs that I'm covering up to prove it. Um, but uh, and like bags under my eyes. But, um, you know, we've had many special sessions already. Uh, now that the data uh, of the census has been released, uh, I'm sure that one of our upcoming special sessions, if not possibly the next one, uh, would be focused around redistricting. And it's so important um, for folks to show up and to testify at what will be redistricting hearings that will be held at the Capitol. Um, we don't know yet if they will have, you know, virtual options, but if you are vaccinated, you know, feel safe, again, wearing masks because masks work. Whatever way you find out you can uh, be involved and Progress Texas will be here to let you guys know the different options you have to testify. It's really important to testify and to let uh, these representatives know who will be redrawing the lines, um, what, how you want them to redraw the lines. And obviously we want them to be drawn in an equitable way to make sure that Texans are represented in a way that will reflect these growing numbers in our state. So we just got a question from Tiffany Gray on Facebook. Uh, what is the deadline for special sessions? Is there a deadline for special sessions? Yes, the end of the month. And I mean, they can call another one, but they're, they're maximum 30 days, I believe. Any other comments about census data? 
which is super exciting. You should all read through it. It's a lot of fun. There's tons of numbers if you like that kind of thing. I just want to jump in and say this isn't specifically about the census, but I do think the census highlights how important state government is and how important local government is. I feel that often, you know, so so often now our politics at the state level feel like they're dominated by national trends and what's going on in D.C. But the truth is that our state legislators do far more that impacts our day-to-day lives than our representatives do in D.C. or our president or anything like that. And I do think that Democratic, you know, voters just as a whole, we've dropped the ball over the last 10 years. And now it's going to show in how these districts are redrawn. Mm. But that's not to say like everything's hopeless. It's more just that it's so important for us to know who we're voting for at the state level and to, you know, go to the ballot box and vote for president or congressman and then leave is doing yourself a disservice because these judges and these legislators and, you know, everyone, as we're seeing with masks, as we're seeing with census data, it makes such an impact. So that's what I will tack on to that little, uh, to, to the testifying information is also just vote and make sure you, you know, vote for your state legislators and know what, how you feel about them and what you think, because it's so critical. So, you know, we've, we've been talking about census data right now. And one thing that I found interesting when I looked at it, at least at the national level, is, the, is that the group that grew at the second fastest pace was Asian Americans or Asians in general. And uh, if you've read the news or turned on a TV or looked at Twitter over the past 48 hours, you know that what's happening in Afghanistan is like a huge crisis. Um, but this morning when I woke up and looked at, the, at a newsletter I got, I got a little bit of bright news. Um, so... Texas right now is going to be settling at least 300 Afghanis who are coming from uh, Afghanistan. And I think that is just, it's very emblematic of, I think, the Texas that progressives want to create, one that is loving and welcoming and nurturing and supportive, because these are folks escaping some of the most devastating and terrifying things in the world. And they're coming here to make their new home. Uh, My parents came as immigrants, too, and and the experience they had, you know, when I think about it, it's so difficult to leave everything you know for something new. And these folks are doing it with no ability to prepare. Many of them might not speak English. And like, we just need to do what we can to support them. So first of all, kudos to Texas for this one nice thing that we're doing of accepting and and welcoming hundreds of people from a war-torn country. But there's more. You know, we, uh, we as Texans right now have a, I think, a responsibility to support the folks who are gonna be resettling. They're, they're not gonna be used to anything. How does transit work? How do you go to the, you know, get the right forms to do whatever you need to do? Uh, I'm dropping a link in the chat and you, know, you can head over to the website. You can sign up to be a volunteer. Um, and from hearing the stories of my parents like getting help from folks who are American citizens when they moved here, the impact you can make in helping these refugees is enormous. Um, and, you know, I'm just like very happy that there's something bright coming out of Texas. And that is that we're welcoming these folks. Um, Glenn, Diana, Brett, any last words before we sign off? You know, our, you know what our state motto is? Texas is the friendship state, right? I mean, sometimes state know. mottos don't really amount to much. You know, sometimes they can be silly. They can be relevant. In this case, it's very relevant. And we need to extend the hand of friendship. And I hope in the end that we accept and help far more than 300 of those coming yes. from Afghanistan through no choice of their own. I think it'd be great for Texas. It'll be great for our future. We extend the hand of friendship to them as we can do. Yeah, and like you said, Safik, this is the least we could do, especially since a lot of these folks themselves um, and their 
you know, families coming over, uh, it's, it's because a lot of them supported our government while we were over there providing um, translation services or supporting our country in many other ways. So again, the least we could do for, for folks that, um, that were helping us. And just to, you know, end that, I mean, I second everything that's been said. And I think another piece of that is I really want to see our state, you know, do as much as it can for all the victims of this war, including veterans who, mm. you know, need support and care and services. And oftentimes our services fall short. Um, we need to do our best to make sure that people who are fleeing this horrible conflict feel welcome and at home and like they are somewhere safe where they are going to be taken care of by their community. And I also hope that people returning from this horrible conflict um, in uniform feel the same way and feel that they have the resources they need to be taken care of by, you know, the military, by our state and by their neighbors, by us. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, Dana, Brett, thanks as always for lending your expertise. Brett, I got to say, awesome job today. Yeah. Oh, well, it. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Normally you only get this nonsense over Slack. So it's kind of fun to be able to sit down and just, you know, go at it uh, over video <laughs> where everyone can obviously hear. No, this was super fun. Um, you know, everyone who's listening and watching, thanks for joining us as well. Head over to progresstexas.org to follow us on social media and subscribe to our email list. If you're listening to us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, with music by Walker Lukens. Please subscribe and share, and thanks so much for listening. See you again next week.